listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Good morning. Rob is going to be, Pastor Rob, is going to be preaching from Exodus 35 and 36. I'm just going to be reading uh, chapter 35, 1 through 29, so join me. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar of incense with its poles, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the door, as the door of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all, <clears throat> sorry, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. 
everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as to the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and the spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. I'm sorry. And <laughs> all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. This is the name, or this is the word of the Lord. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm just going to take a minute to pray for the sermon today. Father, thank you so much for being with us in each of our homes. Thank you that you're so available to us and that you've made your word available to us. Soften our hearts and help us to hear your word this morning. And I just pray for Rob as he listens to you and ministers to us through his sermon. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Hey, Renaissance Church family, um, I just want to encourage you uh, to have your Bibles open during the entirety of this message in Exodus 35 and 36, because I want you to make sure that what I'm saying is what God's word is saying to us today. So keep your Bibles open, whether that's um, an analog form, old school, or that's on your digital form on, on your phone. Now, when I speak to some of you, some of the members of Renaissance Church or, or, or Christians in general uh, across the city, most of you all have a strong desire to play a part in the building and the expansion of the kingdom of God. However, the majority of y'all, you struggle with where to begin. Or you, you struggle with the confidence to do so. You, you constantly ask the question, where do I start? What if I'm not a good enough of a disciple? What if I mess somebody else's life up because I teach them the wrong thing? And my, my hope is to address some of those fears, some of those confusions here today. And, and listen, I'm, I'm fully convinced, I'm fully convinced that it is the norm for the New Testament church that it's every disciple doing the majority of the work. Not the few doing the majority of the work, but every Christian doing ordinary work empowered by the extraordinary work of the Spirit of God. That is the norm of a New Testament Christian. Not the few doing the much, but all, all doing the work empowered by the Spirit of God. And I believe that this week's text, Exodus 35 to 36, that you have opened up before you, is going to shed some light on that reality and give us a glimpse of the church's responsibility. You see, from Exodus 35 to 36, we're going to take this journey, first point, from the house of slavery to the house of the holy. 
And then we will travel from the house that the people built all the way to the church that Jesus builds. And in both scenes, in, in both scenes, we were going to hear this truth echoing throughout the corridors of all the chambers. That when Christians, when we work from our rest, when we work from our rest, we will have willing hands and generous hearts where all Christians, all disciples are playing their part. I'll say that again. The truth that we'll hear echoing throughout the corridors of this chamber is that when we work from our rest, we will have willing hands and generous hearts so that every Christian is playing their part. And so let's let's dive in this morning. You ready? The, the first point, we're going to go from the house of slavery to the house of the holy. Now, Moses begins this section with a command that seems out of the ordinary. Rest. In chapter 35, verses 1 through 3, you read, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death, and you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, now typically, when you want folks to get work done, the first thing you tell them is to get to work, not rest. But God is inviting them to rest first. There it is in verses 1 through 3. He's saying, don't even burn a fire because lighting a fire is synonymous with baking those cakes of manna. Remember on Friday, they were to receive a double portion so that no work, no baking of the manna would occur on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a symbol of commitment, of covenantal commitment to their God that saved them. To not rest, to keep working, was a visible proclamation that you want nothing to do with the God that saved you. So just like in the New Testament, the result of the sin is the same. The wages of sin is death. And you might be asking, why the Sabbath reminder here? I think there's two reasons. First, we have to remember that the temple, the temple they're about to build is a picture of Eden. They're to build the temple so that a holy God could dwell in their midst. Why? Well, because Adam and Eve's sin drove them out of the midst of God. The temple was to restore what was broken in Eden. And what happened on Adam and Eve's first full day in creation with God? He did not call them to work on the seventh day, but no, to rest. Just as the temple was a picture of the work that was to be done in Eden, he's calling Israel to rest first. They are to work from their rest, not merely rest from their work. And this doesn't just point back to Eden. It points back to the house of slavery. 
Chapter 35 points back to the earlier parts of Exodus. I mean, could you imagine being the freed Israelites and, you're, and you hear the command to build? Oh, great. So we did for Pharaoh when we were slaves. Something they did plenty of. But then they hear the words, cease, rest, Sabbath. Oh, there's a stark contrast from the house of the holy, where you find rest, in the house of slavery. Pharaoh's house was built from hard slave labor. And God's house begins and centers around Sabbath rest. Pharaoh's house was built out of the hardness of his own heart, while God's house was built on the willing and the free will offerings of the people's heart. We read that in verses 21, 22, 26, and 29 of chapter 35. Pharaoh's house was built with slave drivers' whips, while God's house is being built through spirit-filled teachers like Bezalel and Aholiab, who invited men and women to play their part. We see that in chapter 35, verses 30 through 35. And we see Pharaoh's house being built out of the lack of materials. They're to make bricks without straw. But God's house, it's being built with an over abundance of materials, so much that Moses has to turn the generous givers away. Read in chapter 36, verses 6 through 7, Moses says, let no man or woman do any more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing where the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. This is not only a stark contrast to the house of slavery, it's a stark contrast to chapters 32 and 33. You see, when Moses received the instructions to build the tabernacle from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 31, what was Israel's first response? Oh, they gathered materials all right. But it was to cast a golden calf to worship. And now, not just a few people, but all of the people. If you look right through chapter 36, you see all the people bringing all that is needed and even more. And curtains are being made. Loops are being made. The upright frames are being made in verse 20. Everything that the Lord commanded in 25 to 31 is now being fulfilled here starting in verse 36. Once there was disobedience in worship of a false god, now there's obedience in worship to the only true God, Yahweh. What changed? Last week, we saw God extend to them mercy and forgiveness they did not deserve. And now they are responding to God's mercy. But second, something else changed here. Look what we read in chapter 35, verses 30 through 31. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and has filled with him the Spirit of God with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, with all 
craftsmanship. What is the difference? The Spirit of God is present. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit who has traveled with them by day in a cloud and by fire by night, is now empowering skill. He's empowering intelligence. He's empowering knowledge and craftsmanship. Don't you see the same Spirit that desires to dwell with them in the holy house is the same Spirit who's empowering them to get there? Where they are headed, the presence of God, is who is empowering them to get there because they cannot do it on their own. And do you know that the same Spirit of God that was at work in the Israelites is the same Spirit of God that is at work in the church today? It's at work in the church that where we are headed, the new heavens, new earth, is where the presence of God is. How will we get there? By the same presence of God. And what is Israel walking in in chapters 35 all the way to the end of 39? They're walking in repentance. We can't get this wrong. Repentance is not just admittance of sin. Repentance is both admittance and turning towards obedience. And they could not do that on their own. We cannot do that on our own. It has to be in the way of the Spirit, following the Spirit in freedom and rest in God, not in our slavery to the pharaohs of this world or to our own sin. Israel went from the house of slavery to the house of the holy, and they're now working from their rest in God who has freed them with willing hands, generous hearts, and every single one of them, men and women, are playing their parts. And we're also going to see that as we travel from the second point, the house that the people built to the church that Jesus builds. Now, notice for a second, I... I did not say the house that the leaders built. This is the temple, the house that the people built. Now, some of you are aware that I have a deep love for food. That did not come out of thin air. You see, I was raised by a father who was called by his employees, yes chef and no chef. See, his employees called him yes chef and no chef because he was the executive chef. He was the architect of the meals, of the menu, of the culture of the staff back in the kitchen, as well as the ambiance of the dining room. But you know what you would find my dad not doing during service? My dad would not be making the salads. My dad would not be peeling tomatoes or potatoes. See, my dad, even when I went to go visit, you know what he'd do during even a busy dinner service? He'd bring me a meal, have the bartender make me a Shirley Temple, and he'd sit with me. Why was my dad able to sit? It's because he prepped and he equipped all of his sous chefs and his bakers, 
and his line cooks to do the work. But even more, they did the work. Everyone on that team played their part and they knew which part they had to play. That's why my dad could sit with me. And it's no different for the house that these people built. All men, all women. Moses had the plan. The Holy Spirit filled Aholiab and Bezalel. They didn't just know how to build. They had to be able to teach. Like my dad knew how to make salads. He knew how to make French onion soup. But he equipped others to do it so that everyone would do their part. Same thing's happening here. Did you notice that? That in chapter 35, verse 34, Moses says, And he, this is God, the Lord Yahweh, has inspired him to teach, both him, Bezalel, and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. Who are they to teach? Everyday, ordinary men and women who called themselves an Israelite. Each according to their gifts and skills that God gave them. We read that in verses 20 to 29. Their job was to teach and equip. The Holy Spirit's role was to stir heart, create willing hearts, cultivate generous hearts so that every hand would play their part. And he did this so much that they had more than what they need. Generous hearts, generous hands to build the house of God every person. And it's no different for us today, church. I mean, two weeks ago, we had this incredible sermon from Colossians 3 where Nate Rutman preached a convicting and compelling sermon where he said, it's not just the job of the pastor and the elder to teach. It's not just my job. It's the responsibility of every member, everyone who calls them a disciple of Jesus, their responsibility is to be taught and teach. Both and. It's not just the leaders, not just some, not just Christians who have been followers of Jesus for decades, but disciples who are fresh out of the baptismal waters to disciples who are lying on their deathbed. Our responsibility is to teach and be taught until Christ returns or we go home to him. And what are we to teach? We're teach the ways of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And this is not just some new fad because of our vision. This is Jesus's words that he left his disciples with at the end of Matthew 28. When he says to go make disciples, how are they to do that? Look at verse 20, teaching them. That's what disciples are to do, to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. It doesn't call for elders to teach them. It doesn't call for expert Christians to do that. Ordinary disciples teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Paul picks this up in his letter to the Ephesians. He says it's the job of the pastors, the leaders, the elders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And what are the saints supposed to do? Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's plan. This is God's wisdom. Do you see what Moses is instructing in the Old Testament? It's wisdom from God. Do you see what Paul's instructing here? It's wisdom from God in the New Testament. That when all, when each person plays their part, if you play your part, the body is built up in love. Now imagine for a second if your mouth tried to be the ear. Or your eye tried to be the mouth and you stuck a fork in it. Or if your, if your legs decided to stop working, you know what happened? The body would not grow. Atrophy would set in. Deterioration would take place. You see, when one member decides to not play their part, it doesn't just affect them. It affects the whole body. It affects the whole body, not just you. See, the church, the church is, is a people. It's not where you come to find community. I hear that often. I'm just trying to find community. No, the The church is not a place where you come and find community of people who are just like you. No, the church is a place where people were once natural born enemies of God and one another. And now through the reconciling blood of Jesus Christ, they are now one in Christ Jesus who don't try and find community, but they build community. They build up the church. They give of themselves. They're sacrificial in their living. They give of their lives to see Christ build his church. You see, the the church is not merely a place where the elders are responsible to care for you. We are, and we love doing it. But the church is meant to be a people who's responsible for every member's care and growth. The church is not merely a place where you come on Sundays to be taught. The church is a people who is continually being equipped to be taught and teach others so that more are being added to our number, not from transfer growth, but from grave growth, from death to life. We are making disciples. This whole body, when we are working together, you know what happens? We are built up into the head who is Christ. And you know who that includes? You. When you lose your life, you will gain it. When you give of yourself you will be built up in love, the Apostle Paul says. And what do we teach? We teach the message that saves. We lay a firm foundation. We teach the gospel of God through the word of God. That is the confession on which Peter claims that Christ, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Lord. And Jesus says, it's on this confession that I will build not Pastor Luke's church, not Pastor Rob's church, not Pastor Kyle's or Pastor Andrew's church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail. This is the foundational truth that everyone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus 
Christ is to play a part by teaching the ways of Jesus and the words of Jesus. That is our firm foundation. If it's built on anything else, we will sink like sand. Amen. You know, eight, eight years ago, Lauren and I moved to the city uh, and we embarked on a lot of new things. <laughs> Starting a church was one of them, but another one was purchasing a home. We've never owned a home. We don't know how to take out loans. And so we knew nothing about this. Both of our parents lived in different states. And so we found a realtor that was like a father figure. And like a good dad, before we looked at any other part of the house, do you know where he took us? He took us right to the basement. Why? Because it's the foundation of the home. If that's broke, the house will collapse. If you want a good house, it must be built on a firm, solid, and if you're in Pittsburgh, a non-leaky foundation. Paul is saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 17. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a, can you say that out loud, whether you're in this room or at home, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is, say it with me, Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you, yins, y'all are that temple. You see, just as Moses was the architect, Aholiab and Bezalel were the skilled craftsmen, and the people of God were those who built. Paul is now saying, I've received the designs from the chief architect, Jesus Christ. And like a skilled builder, I laid the foundation, which is Christ. And now I invite you to build. What changed? What changed from... Those fearful men on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Peter denying Christ three times. What, what changed from him being the one saying, I never knew him, to in Acts chapter 2, proclaiming the resurrection of the Messiah? What changed? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gave Peter boldness gave Peter courage where he stopped fearing men and only feared God. And what was at work in, in Peter on that day of Pentecost is now at work to anyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Did you see what the Apostle Paul said in verses 16 through 17? That we 
collectively are now the temple of God's Holy Spirit, that he now dwells within us, that Christ is now building, not with a hammer in his hands, but no, nails through his hands and his feet to a beam of wood. You see, Christ on the cross knew what we needed because we could not obey. We, without the Spirit of God, we will only disobey and only go our wayward ways. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates and reignites and resurrects our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh will it cause us to desire to freefully follow the Spirit of God to build Christ's kingdom here on earth. This is what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, that he gave up his spirit on the cross. He died for our sins so that he can send the Holy Spirit to do in our lives what we are unable to do on our own. The Holy Spirit works this miraculous change in our lives to where we stop saying we have to follow, to now saying we get to follow. But some of you are like me, You're filled with shame and filled with fear, asking, what makes me a fit place for God's holy presence to reside in? I mean, if the tabernacle had to be built with such exact precision, I know I'm messed up in every sort of way. How am I an appropriate residence for God's presence? It certainly can't be at my feeble and failed attempts to build the kingdom of God. We've fallen at every turn. We've made excuses at every turn. Instead, we've, we've gone and built kingdoms and queendoms for our own glory, comfort, and status. See, the only way that God's Spirit can reside within us is if we are cleaned up and made holy. And we can't do that on our own. That's what Jesus does. Just as Moses called for the cleansing of the tabernacle through incense and blood. Jesus doesn't just clean us up with his blood to make us acceptable. He cleans us up to make us holy so that God can dwell with us, so that he can be with us, so that his promise that he will not leave us until the end of the age will hold true. See, the building of God's temple back in the day, was with dyed linen, was with precious jewels and gold, with hammer, nails, and wood. But the church that Jesus built, that foundation has already been laid with hammer, nails, and wood on the cross of Christ. But now we have the resurrecting power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is now empowered within us. Then when we go out, we announce that the work is finished on the cross. Our job is to teach Jesus' job is to build. My job, this is why I can work from rest, that my job is simply to equip and teach. It's the Spirit's job to empower, convict, and compel you to walk in obedience. It's my role to train, but it's the Spirit's job to woo you towards the ends of the earth so that people might know the glorious name that is Jesus Christ, that one day every knee will bow and confess that Christ is Lord. And so as disciples, where do you begin? 
You begin by saying, I can't, but Jesus can. I can't, but the Spirit of God can. We begin with our weakness, for it's in our weakness where the power of God is manifest. We commit to teach a gospel that we are not ashamed of, and we let that power of God, the gospel of God, do the work. The foundation is that Christ promises to build. We commit. We commit to boldly proclaim his name. You see, when we work from rest in Christ, we see that Jesus' aim wasn't to see what he was, could get out of this community of people. He was to see what he can give to this community of people so that the church might be built. Oh, may we be the same who are not looking to come and consume, but give of our lives to pour into others so more disciples can be made. That we can be a people who give of our time, to give of our finances, our gifts. We get to watch not us, but Jesus build his church through us. This is how we work from our rest where we have willing hands and generous hearts so that everyone does their part. Oh, church, let us be a church that doesn't jockey and wish we had somebody else's position in the church, but we are grateful that everyone is playing their part. Oh, church, let us be a church where the laborers are so plentiful. I'm not talking about finances right now. I'm talking about laborers that the labors are so plentiful, we wouldn't turn them away like Moses did with the gifts. We would send them out. Where when we get to gather in person again, we are so jam-packed full that we send people out to plant more churches and send people out to the nations to see people come to know Jesus in every tribe, tongue, and family across the world. Let us be a church who doesn't just wait for a building to come. Because the building is not what Jesus needs to build his church. We have what we need to see the church built. The word and prayer. You want to see the church built? Don't worry about four sides and a roof. You have everything you need right here and through prayer. Where do you begin in making disciples? How do you start? You grab someone else, a believer or a non-believer. You begin praying with them, for them, as you are taught and you are teaching God's word. Oh, let us be a church where it's abnormal. Abnormal for one person to not be playing their part. And it's normal where everyone is playing their part. And let us be a church who works from our rest in Jesus' finished work, and from all of our willing and generous hearts and hands, everyone who says, I am a Christian, plays their part. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for this word. We praise you that we get to see that it's you at work you at work within your people that stirs them.